0: And make them clean Keep my heart in purity That I may walk in All you have for me Oh, here I stand Arms open wide Oh, I am yours and you are mine Take my moments and my days. Let each breath that I take be ever on me for you, oh God. Oh, 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 here I stand, arms open. Oh, I am yours and you are mine, oh, here I stand. And arms
1: open
0: wide Oh, I am yours And you are mine Oh, 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 here I stand We do stand with arms wide open, Lord, just waiting to be filled by you this morning. Father, we're so thankful to be in our house of worship this morning, that we can come worship you, but Lord, help us not to forget that we can worship you anywhere. Father God, help us to take you as the lead in our lives, take us and lead us guide us into your marvelous name. In Jesus' name we pray. My hands and I spin around, see the light that I have found, Oh the marvelous light, the marvelous light. I lift my hands and I spin around and see the light that I have found. Oh the marvelous light, the marvelous light. Into marvelous light I'm running, out of darkness and out of shame. By the cross you are the truth, you are the light, you are the way. Into marvelous light I'm running, out of darkness and out of shame. By the cross you are the truth, you are the light, you are the way.
2: Amen. Amen. Stay standing. We're going to pray for the uh, offertory, and then we're going to continue worshiping.
3: Shall we pray? Dear Lord, I just want to thank you this morning for the opportunity to share our offerings with you, and pray that you would bless these and make us good uh, stewards of the resources you've blessed us with. Pray that you would make us desperate for opportunities to to share what you've blessed us with with others, Lord. I want to thank you this morning for the ultimate offering that you sent your son down, that he may live and die for us, Lord, that we may have everlasting life. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.
2: Words to this song are gorgeous and they're just simple. It doesn't matter what happens. You're going to find a reason to worship. It's not always easy, is it? If you'll stand and sing with us, I think we can do this one together. Worship with us. When I'm on a mountain
1: Worship. Oh, Lord, yeah. when my world is falling. I'm going to worship. When my spirit is soaring. I'm going to worship. Even when I'm standing on the mountain, but even when I'm in the valley. Everything's broken. I'm going to worship in the center of it all. You're the one who breaks my fall. Even now, I'm calling your name. Even now. All my life There's nothing else I want to do Here and now I want to do Every night I worship
2: you And as we sing We sing together
1: To God Be the glory To God Be the glory Raise your voice To God be the glory to God. 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 Be the glory, to God. Be the glory. now. I'm calling your name here and now. I'm singing your face all my life. So there's nothing else I, mean, I want to do here and now. I worship
2: Father, we worship you, but we don't want to stop here. We want to continue the rest of our day and the rest of our days and the rest of our lives. Amen. Be seated. I've been in, <clears throat> involved in worship, I guess, in, as I was thinking about this in one way or another for all of my life. I don't remember a time when I was not somehow involved in the worship service as we like to call it which has caused me a a lot to think lately about us and where we're at i I, i'm going to share a little bit of something in the what like 1976 i remember when burl red came out with celebrate life is that 76 gary or is it older than that it was earlier than that and it caused quite a stir because it was pop music. And I don't know if you've ever heard Celebrate Life. It sounds kind of lame today. <laughs> and and um, it seems that every so often church music kind of makes a turnover of some sort, a fresh start. It's done it, as a matter of fact, in church history, music history, you study uh, Palestrina. And he used a four-part harmony. And the church deemed at that time that harmony was not for the church. And they cut out harmony. That's us, y'all. So this is not the first era in music. And music evolves with us. But I'm afraid that we've become worship snobs. you agree with that? we got some people say, Well, you know, really, if it's not organ and piano, it's not really worship. And, and really, if you don't have instruments, it's not worship. And if you're not singing this way, it's not worship. I even had someone tell me one time, someone ignorant, said that we should improvise worship. If we stood up here and int- improvise, you would all go home. I promise. Now, maybe I'll bring a jazz worship group in here sometime, and we'll do some real improvisation, but not today. Not for corporate worship. Corporate worship has to be a little bit, have some Order to it. You agree with that? And I thought about Gary and I have been doing a lot of talking about that. And I thought about what if Jesus had stood up and, at the Last Supper and said, Let's all sing a hymn, y'all. Let's do Amazing Grace. And somebody, can you imagine one of the disciples saying, No, no, let's not sing that hymn. I don't like that. So my style. Can you imagine that? Just think about it for a moment. The absurdity of a disciple, or Paul hanging from, Paul and Silas hanging from the prison walls, going, let's sing a hymn, and them arguing about what style they wanted to sing it in. You see where I'm going with this? It's not about style. As a matter of fact, if you haven't done your homework, you're not worshiping this morning. You got to do your homework. I always tell my band students, my jazz students, if you don't do your homework, you won't get anything out of this class. That means every day they've got to be doing something outside of class. Every day you've got to be doing something outside of worship. If you're going to come in here on Sunday morning and truly worship. And I don't mean raise your hands truly worship. And I don't mean sing hallelujahs truly. I mean worship on the inside. Because it really doesn't matter to me. You can sit down. You can lay down if you want to. Some churches kneel and stand and kneel and stand. That's their worship. Some churches just sit there. Some churches stand the whole time. Some churches jump around. That's their worship. Now, I'm not talking about what you do. I'm talking about this, your heart. If you don't do your homework every day, you will not worship in here, I promise you. For me, worship is... is, I did a thing with my Sunday school class, and we went to the Appalachian Trail. It did some hiking. It was beautiful. And you stand on top of this mountain, and you realize how small you are in comparison to the mountain and the mountains around you. And then you look up, and you go, wow, this is really a small planet and a small universe and a really a small little galaxy in the corner of the universe. And if you're a multiverse theory person, you even say the small galaxy in a small multi-universe in this, among universes or whatever. Certainly is small compared to God. And we certainly are insignificant and that he loves us is an amazing thing. If you don't have anything else to worship about, that should be it. And I told my class, I said, I do cues. I I was raised around smokers. I never smoked myself, but I was raised around people who smoked. And I noticed they had cues. Coffee, cigarette, right? Driving, cigarette. Talking on the phone, cigarette. So I thought, what if I applied that same principle to my worship? My personal time. Because I'm not, I don't live the kind of life that is conducive to routine. I'm very unroutine-like. You couldn't guess my movements at any given moment of any given day. It's just my personality. It's the way I am. So I decided, well, I don't have this routine. I don't get up every day at 5.30. Sometimes I get up at 5. Sometimes I get up at 7.30. Sometimes I get up at 6.00. Just a pen. Sometimes I hit the snooze button so many times that it begins to break after a while and I have to get a new alarm clock. Sometimes I'm up all night. So I started doing cues. Like driving to work. That's a cue. Turn the radio off. Or maybe listen to Christian Station. I think that's still noise. And just say, thank you, God. Thank you. Or just say, I love you. Or sing a simple hymn. Like, thank you for loving me. It doesn't even have to sound pretty. It can sound like this. Thank you for loving me. It's all right. Just say, say something. Start out with thank you. Get in the shower. That's my, one of my cues. He's seen you naked before. It's all right. And say thank you. If you'll do your homework, you'll come in here on Sunday morning. This will be a piece of cake. Somebody said, said to me, that I wish we could just keep on worshiping. You can. I work in the school. Guess what? I pray all the time, constantly. They can't stop you from praying at work. That doesn't I mean you have to stand up and start raising your hands and shout out. You can just bow your head. You don't even have to bow your head. You can look at the computer and say, Lord, get me out of this hole. This song is about that, and I've sung it before, and it's just something I felt like I needed to do this morning. Don't be a worship snob. Be able to go to the 11 o'clock service and enjoy it. Be able to go to hear a string quartet play and enjoy it. Be able to go to a loud concert of Christian music that sounds like rock with Christian words, because that's what it is, and enjoy it. Be able to hear nothing and enjoy it. Be able to walk alone and enjoy it. Enjoy God 24-7, folks. Because this is an extremely temporary situation we're in. This is just a learning curve. I didn't mean to preach and take much time, but I wanted to bear down on this point. I've, I've been up here in one way, shape, form, or another most of my life. And I found if I don't do my homework, I'm just going through the motions. There's
1: something about the morning.
2: I'm sorry, I messed up the words. Last night
1: when I was sleeping. Were watching over me while I dreamt about tomorrow. You knew my every need. Now another day is waiting for me to make it. There's no way that I can face it without you. Before the day slips away, I
0: want to stop and say I love you. I love you. Before the world rushes in again, I want to stop Say there's none above you There's none above you
1: I'll just be still and know that you are God Be still
0: and know that you are God
1: There's something about the morning
0: Stillness of it all.
2: It calms
1: my heart to hear you when you gently call. Now, another day is waiting for me to make. And there's no way
0: that I can face it without you, Lord.
1: Before the day
0: slips away, I want to stop and say I love you. I love you. Before the world rushes in again, I want to stop. Say there's none above you. There's none above you. And I'll just be still and know that you are God. Be still and know that you are God. Here I am in your presence. It's where I long to be. Long silence. Bring down your love and your mercy. Whisper
2: Before the day slips
0: away, I want
1: to stop and say I love you, I love you Lord. Before the day
0: slips away, I want to stop and say I love you, I love you. Before the world rushes in again I want to stop and say there's none above you There's none above you I'll just be still and know that you are God Be still and know that you are God
3: Thank you. Thank you, Van, Mark, and team. I've always believed that worship is, is so much more an attitude of the heart than it is a position of the body or or anything else. And as Van was talking, I couldn't help but wonder what it would be like if we had like those uh, security checkpoints, like at the airport you have to come through that examine the attitude of your heart. You know, would folks say, uh, I'm sorry, but your heart's not ready for worship. You'll be wasting your time. How many of us would be in here this morning? Would I be in here this morning? (laughs) Um, But is your heart right? And as Van was talking about the different styles of worship, of course, we want to be mindful of the Michael W. Smith concert this weekend, 630 at Brody Field, because studies show that unchurched, unsaved people will be much more apt to come to a, an outdoor concert than they would be to come into a traditional church for worship. And so the, the, the group that has been working on that road less traveled is hoping 15 to 20,000 people will show up and, uh, and maybe 500 professions of faith. And then once people get saved, we need a lot of counseling and follow-up um, to help those folks grow. Rather than just throwing them in the deep end and, and saying, swim best you can, we need to help them get on their feet in their, in their Christian walk and get plugged into places where they can grow. That's this Saturday night. Did I say Saturday? 6.30. And I think there's also a concert 6.30 Friday night at the Tip County High School gym for students. Uh, just kind of a, a, a warm-up for that, a preparation for the, the service on Saturday night as well. I want to take just a, a moment and pray for that that concert and that if you have friends and family members and neighbors that you need to be there, that, that you know need Jesus in their lives, uh, that you'll have an opportunity this week to invite them. Let's pray. Father, as we as this whole community prepares for a Christian concert. Who would have thought two years ago that a, a region would come together like this and lift up Jesus? We pray for Friday night for the students who will gather at the high school at 6 30 in worship. We pray for Saturday night, Lord. We pray for good weather. Lord, we just pray you'll bless us with a beautiful day and that folks will come and hear the name of Jesus lifted up in the music, and in the, in the words, and in the prayers. And for those folks who come that don't know you as Lord and Savior, that that will be a moment of decision for them, a crossroads in their life, where they will choose to take the road less traveled that leads upward towards salvation. Father, we pray for the, the preparation that has to take place between now and then for the counselors, for the follow-up, for the opportunities we'll have this week with folks who will cross our paths. Father, if they're lost, help us to invite them and reach out to them and meet them and and pray for them this week. We just look forward to the mighty things you want to do in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're in a series of the seven signs that Jesus performs in the Gospel of John. They're miracles. But John never calls them miracles or wonders. He calls them signs because John sees what Jesus does is not just an event to draw attention to itself. But what Jesus does is always something that points to a spiritual truth. And the fourth sign that we're looking at is, I've entitled the sermon, Jesus Arithmetic. You call it, we call it feeding the 5,000 or multiplying the loaves and fishes. The end of John, chapters 20, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 says that these things have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and believing that you may have life in his name. So John's explicit purpose is to help you come to faith in Jesus Christ and have life in his name. So when John gives us a sign, he's not just recounting an event, but he is, he's adding to that event the spiritual significance, the meaning of it. And this fourth sign in uh, John chapter 6, verses 1 through 14 says this. After, the, after this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the seat of Tiberias. And a multitude followed him because they saw the signs which he did on those that were diseased. Do you remember the sign he just did healing the man at, at the pool at Bethesda? Jesus went up on the mountain and there sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a multitude was coming to him, Jesus said to Philip, how are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? This he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each one of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. So if the men were 5,000, you know, the women and children, easily another 5,000, making perhaps the crowd 10 or 12,000. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the fragments left over that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign which he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who was to come into the world. Jesus' arithmetic because some interesting things happen in in this sign with numbers. Let's pray. Father, as we gather to consider this sign of the miracle of the feeding of 5,000, help us to trust you with what we consider to be little and allow you to multiply it and distribute it and use it for your glory and then add back unto us So that we'll have what we need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When Jesus gives a sign, notice the details are are just throughout the whole passage. We know it's outside of Capernaum by the Sea of Galilee. Um, It's Passover time. Passover, you'll recall, was uh, the last of the ten plagues that God brought upon Egypt. When they refused to let the children of Israel go from captivity, the Passover angel came and the firstborn of every male child, every male in every household was was killed that did not have on the doorpost a spot of blood from a sacrificial lamb. Other details. Grass on the place, sitting down. And Mark, it tells us, in groups of hundreds and fifties. If you have 5,000 people That would be 50 groups of 100, wouldn't it? Or or 100 groups of 100 if it were 10,000. Just enormous people on a hillside. This this miracle is the only one recorded in all four of the Gospels, and it's mentioned twice in Matthew and Mark for for that matter. But only here in John are we told two things. Only here are we told that it's a lad, a young boy, who provides the five loaves and two fish. And only here in John do we get the spiritual significance of it. In verses 32 and 33, Jesus goes on to say, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. My Father gives you true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives it to the world. Jesus is the bread of life. And that's what this sign wants you to see. Just as Jesus provides bread and fish to satisfy your physical hunger, Jesus knows that there is a spiritual hunger that is so much so much more important, and he wants the people there to see Him, not for the, the miracle he does multiplying loaves and fish, but for the spiritual bread he offers. If they will eat of him, they will never hunger. When you read these verses in, in verses 32 and 33 about the bread from heaven, the bread that God gives, which come down from heaven and gives life to the world. It sounds almost like the Lord's Supper, doesn't it? Words of the Lord's Supper. And I, I, I think that's what Jesus has in the back of his mind is the Passover meal, because it says uh, in verse 11, Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, the word there for giving thanks is Eucharist, to give thanks. And so probably in the back of Jesus' mind is As this crowd of 5,000 sits sits down, I think Jesus is serving a Passover picnic to 5,000 people and teaching them that in this Passover, it's not the, the fish and the loaves that they are eating that's important, but the Lamb of God who is getting ready to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. Let's talk a little bit about the arithmetic that takes place here. Because there is subtraction, multiplication, division, and addition. And I want you to see how these things take place in the course of this miracle. First of all, the subtraction. And this outline is in your worship bulletin. The subtraction is, the boy gives his lunch. He subtracts what he has to give it to Jesus. There was a problem that arose in Galilee that day. A great crowd had followed Jesus. 5,000 men, when you add to that, women and children. How many were there? We have no idea. But they saw the signs which Jesus had done, and they they followed him to a hillside. And and they're hungry, and Jesus senses their hunger. And not only does he want to minister to them compassionately because of the physical need, but he also sees a teaching opportunity that is arising. So he looks to Philip, who keeps the the disciples' treasury, and says, How much money do we have? And Philip says, 200 denarii, which is about $40. And Philip says, we can't feed 5,000 or 10,000 people with $40. And then Andrew comes and says, there's a a young boy here who has a a lunch, five barley loaves, and two fish. Now, barley was the the bread of poor people. It was very coarse, um, harsh-tasting bread. And the fish were not like big fish you see in a fish cabinet today. They were probably... They probably weren't even fresh. They're probably little pickled fish like sardines or something like that. So basically, we're talking about five crackers and two sardines to feed 5,000 people. Jesus could have taken, if you stop and think about it, he could have told Philip, take the $40 and go into town and buy as much food as you can. And it would have been a lot more than five loaves and two fish. He could have brought back, I don't know, 20 or 25 loaves and 10 or 15 fish for $40. And it would have been a whole lot easier to multiply that to feed 5,000. But that's not how Jesus wants to work. Jesus, When Jesus does a miracle, he includes us in the process. Andrew says, five barley loaves, two fish. When you stop and think about it, there are three miracles that take place here. First of all, the first miracle is that there's a hungry little boy who hasn't eaten his lunch in the afternoon. (laughs) Secondly, that he was willing to share it. And thirdly, that Jesus takes it and multiplies it and feeds 5,000. What does this say? This says it doesn't matter how much you have. Friends, you might think you are the least of those who has anything to offer to the kingdom of God. But here's a little boy who has five barley loaves and two fish. Do you have much less than that? I don't think so. And, and give it to God and he will multiply it and use it. And, and that mother who prepared that lunch that day for her son, five barley loaves and two fish, she had no idea that she was preparing the greatest picnic of all time for 5,000 people when she fixed that lunch. Because the boy gave it away. Subtraction. And now comes the multiplication. Jesus multiplies the loaves and fish, and once he begins, there is no stopping. I don't know how long it took to multiply five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000. I know in women's celebration, we're real proud when we can feed 500 people in 20 minutes. But what I think is that as he began to multiply those loaves and fish, that he threw them into the 12 baskets that the disciples were carrying. And as they carried those baskets out to the crowds that were sitting in groups of hundreds and fifties, that that food just kept multiplying in the baskets. And as they distributed bits of food from those baskets, it just kept multiplying. And when they put it on the plates of those people or into the hands of the hungry people, it just kept multiplying when it was in their hands. Some people say there's no miracle that took place here, that that little boy gave his five loaves and two fish and and it inspired everybody who had lunch with them that day but refused to share it. It shamed them and inspired them to do what the little boy had done and they brought it out and began to share it and there was enough food for everybody. No, not possible because it says earlier how hungry the crowd was and they would not have been hungry had they brought their own food. The miracle begins when the little boy offers his five loaves and two fish to Jesus. And think, five loaves feeding 5,000. That means one loaf for 1,000, one fish for 2,500. That's a lot of multiplying going on right there. And now the division. A lot of people overlook this, but we're told in Mark chapter 6 that Jesus had them sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And Jesus took what had been subtracted from the boy, he multiplied it, and then he divided it out among the people so that everybody had plenty. And as I think about this, I think about this is how the gospel can be divided among multitudes of people. One person can't do it all, but when you take what God has given you and you give it to him and he multiplies it, then there'll be plenty to go out and tell these people and those people will tell these people and those will tell those people the good news of Jesus Christ. And it will be divided among the whole world because someone gave what they had and allowed Jesus to multiply it. And finally, the addition, it says when they gathered up all they had, when the people had eaten their fill, that's, that's really a coarse phrase that means when they, were, when they had filled up their bellies. And it's talking about like animals who were at a trough, who had eaten everything they wanted. Jesus does a miracle and there is an overabundance. Do you remember when he turned the water into wine? There were uh, six water pots, 30 gallons turned into wine. When Jesus does a miracle, it's not enough just to squeak by. But there is always an overabundance. And there were 12 baskets full. Left over. Have you ever eaten something that's really heavy and really filling and you eat for 30 minutes and you've eaten all you can and you look at the plate and it's still there? I don't know, I, lasagna's like that for me. I can eat and eat and be full and, and, and not even make a dent in it. I think maybe as the, as the people were even eating, it just continued to multiply there right in front of them. And then there was a basket left over, 12, one for each of the 12 disciples who had distributed it among the people. It reminds me of, of Matthew six thirty three, where Jesus says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and, and all these things, all you need will be added back unto you. Give God what you have. He'll multiply it for his purposes. He will divide it among his people, and then he will return to you more than you can need, more than you can use. And that's the addition principle. I'm going to take this opportunity briefly and just share how I've seen that to be true in my own life. Susan and I started contributing to Ford and Faith three years ago. And uh, it wasn't always easy, but we made that commitment and we wanted to continue doing it. Now, I I sat down a, a couple weeks ago and started scratching my head because last month we paid off the last payment on our last car. This month, we're paying the last mortgage on our house. And I'm thinking, next month, we're supposed to start forward in faith, completing the vision. You know, a lot of folks would see a coincidence that we pay off our car and we pay off our house, first mortgage on our house. Let me be honest there. Right at the same time that forward in faith, completing the vision is starting for another two-year cycle. Is that a coincidence? Some people would say it is. I don't think so. I think God is blessing us because we were faithful to him in the forward in faith three-year cycle. And and it hasn't been easy. Catherine's been in college and there have been additional expenses. But we have found out that when you're faithful to him in every area of your life, He'll bless you and make it possible for that blessing to continue. It's kind of like investing in something that has a guaranteed rate of return one day with a tremendous interest rate, and in the meantime, still receiving dividends. That's what giving to God is like. Investing in a guaranteed interest rate that will be astronomical and getting dividends back all along the way. So that's, that's what I see happening in this passage. Subtraction, the little boy giving his lunch, multiplication, Jesus taking it and, and turning five loaves and two fish into enough to feed 5,000, division, dividing it among the people, addition, still giving back 12 baskets to the disciples and giving back to you and me when we are faithful and do what he calls us to do. There was a man who got lost in the desert one day, and uh, it, was, it was hot, and, and as the day wore on, he got scared and tired and thirsty, and in the distance, he saw a shack, and he went to the shack, and there he saw a water pump with a small jug and a note attached to it, and the note said, take this water that's in the jug and prime the pump. And once you prime the pump, you can start pumping water and you'll have as much as you need. So the man is there with a decision. He's got some water in a jug that he can drink immediately and possibly be satisfied. Or he can trust the note and prime the pump and see if it works. Well, he decided to try it. And so he took the water in the jug and poured it into the pump to prime it and started pumping it. And at first, nothing happened. But eventually water started coming out of the pump and he had plenty of water to drink and he had plenty of water to pour over him and he had plenty of water to fill up all the containers that he could see. And and, and there was also a note at the bottom of the note, it said, after you have finished, refill the jug for the next traveler. And so he did. And at the bottom of the note, he added, he said, please prime the pump. Believe me. It works. I think that's what this, parent, this, this miracle is trying to say. Trust God. Give what you have to Him. It may not seem like much, but a little is a lot in the hands of God. And He will multiply it and use it in a mighty way for His kingdom. And then all these things that you need will still be added back to you. The final mathematical formula I want to leave you with is written in your bulletin. Five plus two equals 5,000 with 12 left over. That might not work in your math class, but it works real well in the feeding of the 5,000. Shall we pray? Father, as we gather here to worship you, We thank you that that you decide to partner with us when you want to do a miracle. (coughs) And there are opportunities and needs all around us right now. Help us to trust you with what little resources we have. And it might seem like a, a paltry bit, our time, our talents, our opportunities, our finances. Lord, may not seem like much, but when we place them into your hands we can sit back and marvel at how you multiply it and use it for your kingdom. And then you still add back to us what we need. All these things will be added unto you. And we won't have to worry. And we won't have to go without those needs that we have for being faithful to your calling in our lives. Help us to trust you and prime the pump and watch you pour forth showers of blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to be at the front to receive you here. If you have a decision, we're going to sing a song. You make this commitment. You make it public now, professing your faith, rededicating your life. You come forward while we stand and sing. I'll be at the front. Please come.